0: Heavenly Father, we enter into your presence joyfully this morning, just so grateful that we can share your word together through reading of your word and the preaching of your word. And we pray that you will make us attentive, open our our ears and our eyes and our hearts that that we can receive the message you have for us today through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're reading Psalm 19 this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Kind of loose in here this morning, huh? Yeah. No? The looseness went away. It's gone. We're back to the quiet white church. All right. Um, I've been praying that you would have a hunger uh, for God's Word today and uh, that I would have a hunger to hear from the Lord today even as I am preaching. Uh, I have uh, benefited greatly from uh, Pastor Adam's preaching through the book of Philippians. And I have also uh, benefited from my own uh, preparation from the sermons that I have preached through the book of Philippians. But we are coming uh, to an end, near the end uh, of the book. we have this, this coming up here? Sorry. Slides? There we go. Okay. Just checking. we We're coming near the end of the book of Philippians. Today we're going to look at just the last few verses of the book, Paul's parting words to this church that he loved very, very much. This very intimate letter that Paul wrote. And we're going to look at, at those parting words today. And then next week, a summary message as we look back over the theme of joy and the theme of contentment throughout the book of Philippians. And then the following Sunday, we'll be beginning a new series. And that will be in 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, as as, uh, many of you know, has uh, a variety of controversial things in it. I'll mention a few of them, and you can be praying for Pastor uh, Adam and I as we will encounter, uh, of course, uh, spiritual gifts in uh, chapters 12 through 14 and speaking in tongues and miraculous healings and words of knowledge and prophecy are in 1st Corinthians the roles of men and women in the church and the home and so we'll be dealing with gender issues in 1st Corinthians. He tackles uh, issues ranging Paul does in the letter to uh, Corinth. He tackles issues uh, ranging from divorce and remarriage to head coverings to the holiness of children when one spouse is not a believer. So we're going to be looking at a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff through that book, and Pastor Adam and I are both excited to uh, share the preaching as, uh, as we get into 1 Corinthians. That'll be three weeks uh, t- from today. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a wild ride, so pray for us for that. And uh, now, before we get into these last few verses of Philippians, uh, let's bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father in heaven, uh, we love you uh, very much and we are aware of our need to love you more and more and more. And so I ask as uh, the word is preached today, as we look at the word of God, uh, that you would work in specific and individual ways, ways that each of us uh, need to hear from you through the truth of your word. We pray that Christ would be lifted up and that he would be seen and that the gospel would be known and displayed in our lives, and we pray that this time together now would help us to move along in that journey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right, you ready for a message on this? Okay, here we go. So uh, we're going to go phrase by phrase here a little bit and spend most of our time out of verse 23. So the very beginning here, greet all the saints is what the NIV has. I'm reading from the NIV 1984, and it is bringing out this idea of everyone at Philippi. But many of your translations, the NASB, the King James, the ESV, says greet every saint. And this is actually better here. Greet every saint. The words are singular. And the idea in this letter is Paul is is very close to these people. We've seen numerous things that, that show his heart and his love for them and their love for him. And so the idea here is to greet every single saint uh, in Philippi, in Christ Jesus. He has each individual in his mind, and he is sending this individual greeting to them. He moves on, and then the next phrase in verse 21 says, the brothers who are with me send greetings. Now remember, Paul is in prison in Rome at this time, and he would have had, and we know that he had, quite a few visitors colleagues in ministry that came alongside him while he is there in prison in Rome. And that's who he's referring to here when he says brothers. The brothers who are with me send their greetings. We don't know exactly who was with him at this very uh, moment, but this may have included Timothy, Epaphroditus, Luke, Aristarchus. So these brothers are sending their greetings uh, to you, Philippians. And then verse 22, all the saints send you greetings. Here referring to the church at Rome, the believers that this is their home. They all send you Philippian greetings uh, to the Philippians. And then we have this clause, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. Now this isn't referring to uh, the emperor's family or royalty. but This would be referring to the reality that many people, prison guards, soldiers, and others have come to faith in Christ as Paul is sitting in prison or in house arrest in Rome that there have been many who have come to the Lord. And so, what a cool thing to send greetings to the Philippians from these new brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of Caesar's household. He then says, verse 23... The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it's this sentence that most of the message is going to come from today, and it's going to take us a few moments to get there. He is, again, in an individual and in a personal way, praying that that grace, uh, charis, or charis, however you want to pronounce it, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with your spirit. This is the same exact way he ends his letter uh, to uh, Philemon. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, spirit with a small s. This is the same thing as saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you uh, as an individual. Spirit referring to the immaterial part of, of, of men and of women, the, the, the nature of, of who we are. And then we have, uh, in my translation, the NIV, we have amen at the very end. And I know we have a variety of translations out there. And to uh, keep you with me through uh, a benediction uh, greeting here, preaching. How many of you have amen in your translation? Look down at the very end of verse 23. Okay, and how many of you do not have amen? Okay, so let me just, a little aside here. And there's a purpose to this aside. And the purpose is to increase our confidence and authority in God's word. But let me uh, just make a, a comment about this. Probably what's going on here. In fact, let's, let's make an observation. We see the amen, if you have it in your text. If you don't, many of the translations have an amen at the very end of verse 23. But back up and look at verse 20. Philippians 4 and verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right there at verse 20. So this is a little unusual. It seems like we have two endings or two benedictions. And so let me give you a, a, a take on, on most likely why this is. It was custom in the ancient Near East, and it was Paul's custom to use a scribe or a secretary. uh, Or, fancy word for it is an amanuensis, a literary assistant who takes dictation or copies manuscripts. So Paul himself did not write his actual letters. He would dictate them to someone, and then that someone would write them, And then at the very end of his letters, and he makes explicit reference to this at the end of Galatians, he would take the pen from that amanuensis, and he would write the very end of his own letter in his own hand to authenticate that this is really from Paul. So probably what's going on here is we have uh, Paul picking up the pen after verse 20 and writing in his own hand these last few verses. And then whether he wrote the amen or not, what's going on here, again, another little aside, is we don't have the original letter that Paul actually wrote. We have about 5,000 manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. And it may sound bad, but this isn't bad. None of those 5,000 manuscripts are identical with each other. There are differences or variants in each of those manuscripts. So that sounds bad, but the good news and what builds confidence in our understanding of having the the, uh, original Word of God in front of us and a trustworthy copy of the Word of God in front of us is the kind of variance or the kind of discrepancies in those manuscripts are this kind right here. Whether the word amen in some of the manuscripts have amen and some of the manuscripts don't have amen. So we have an amazing number of manuscripts that overwhelmingly agree of the New Testament. About 99% of uh, of them would would agree. There's a small percentage of manuscripts where there's variance. And so we have a tremendous reliability more than any other text from from this area. So this is... A uh, long story of why the amen is in some of our our translations and not in our are you guys tracking with me today okay you 're tracking with me good amen all right we're getting a lot we 're getting lots of amens so um, so that's uh, so that 's there come let 's look now uh, verse twenty three is really what I want to come out of in the rest of the sermon and talk about what this grace is. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want to talk about grace and I want to spend some time before we actually talk about what it is to talk about what it isn't. This word grace is used a ton in all sorts of different ways in modern day usage. I've got one of these one of my favorite books at home is one of these big honkin unabridged dictionary. Anybody else have one of those and kind of weird and like it? Does anybody else have one of those big things? So I I pulled mine out this week and looked up grace, and there are 21 different ways that the word grace is used uh, in everyday English today. This is not what they mean in chapter 4 and verse 23, but let me show you just a few of them. There may be some relation or some overlap, but this isn't what they mean. Uh, Grace can mean elegance or beauty of form, manner, motion, or act in modern-day English. Uh, We might describe a... um, an ice skater, or uh, some of you have been watching the NBA Finals. Anybody been watching the NBA Finals? Some basketball fans, Keith has. At least three of us have. Um, Stephen Curry has got grace when the guy shoots a jump shot. In this uh, sense, elegance or beauty of of form. Grace can mean favor shown in granting a delay or temporary immunity in modern-day English. Grace can be a short prayer before or after a meal, in which a blessing is asked and thanks are given. Grace can be a formal title used in addressing or mentioning a duke, a duchess, an archbishop. And one of my favorite in that list in my dictionary, a name given to beautiful newborn baby girls by Christian and non Christian parents. We have any graces in here today? <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think we have some graces. Uh, in here today so this is again there's some overlap every word has a range of meanings whether we're talking about English or whether we're talking about ancient Greek uh, every word has a range of meaning and so there's some overlap in these but none of these are really what Paul is getting at in verse 23 so one more category of what he's not getting at sometimes to understand what we're talking about we need to understand what we're not talking about so I want to talk about something else now Theologians throughout history, as they have read the Bible, they have discerned and come to talk about grace in two different ways. Two kinds of grace in the Bible. And the first type, theologians would call common grace. And we have a picture of what common grace looks like in Psalm 19. That's why I asked Bud to read that in our scripture reading today. Let's take a look at it on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. They pour forth communication. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Part of Psalm 19 is speaking about how God speaks to human beings and to Himself and declare His glory. The heavens do, the stars do, the sun does, creation does. This is an example of common grace where God is showing his, His beauty and His favor through creation to human beings and common grace is also displayed in human beings in, in a very common way, in a way that is common to all human beings. So another example of, of what we call common grace, primarily this is not what Paul's referring to in Philippians 4.23. Isaiah 28, let's look at this briefly together. When a farmer plows for planting, when he has leveled the surface, does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Grain must be ground to make bread. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. So the way that God has designed the earth to be farmed and to make bread and so forth is an example of his common grace, how he shows favor and blessing to, human cr- to humankind all across the ages, all across peoples, whether they are believers or not. It is common uh, to all. Uh, Tim uh, Keller, uh, commenting on Common Grace, he writes this. He says, It is important to note that all human culture ultimately follows the same pattern as farming. Every advancement in human learning Every work of art and every scientific discovery is simply God opening his book of creation and revealing his truth to us. That's basically what common grace is right there. Of course, the vast majority of farmers in the history of the world did not know that God was doing this. But Isaiah, the passage we just looked at, says that God was at work. This is general revelation, or as theologians call it, the doctrine of of common grace all artistic expressions skillful farming scientific discoveries medical and technological advances are expressions of God's common grace all right so we have now looked at what common grace is and we've looked at the way grace is used in a variety of ways in our english translations let's turn now to what grace actually means here in 423 Grace, if there is a common grace, it makes sense that there's also a special grace. So the two kinds of grace throughout the uh, Old Testament and now into the New Testament, the New Covenant, we see uh, the theologians have called this second kind of grace, the kind of grace that Paul is asking to be upon each individual with their spirit at Philippi and by extension us today, 2,000 years later, is what theologians refer to as special grace as special grace and it is grace that is tied to the lord jesus christ and the gospel let's look at a couple passages here john chapter one the word became flesh the second person of the godhead became a human being and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the kind of special grace we're talking about is in Jesus Christ. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So so special grace, special grace is the undeserved unmerited favor that both saves and sustains believers now we tend to we tend to get the idea that we are saved by grace but we are also sustained by god's grace by his unmerited favor that helps us to live the way that he wants us to live, day by day, moment by moment, year after year, to live out the Christian life and display the gospel. We don't necessarily need to be smarter, but we do necessarily need the grace of God working in us and through us and sustaining us. My own experience when it comes to grace, I think a lot of people have experienced uh, this. I understood when I came to know Christ as a senior in high school that God had done something miraculous. That his grace, this, this undeserved favor, had been shown to me and I became a new person. I was born again. I had a new identity. I had new desires. But, I, but it was a long time in coming and, and throughout my life since then, 1987, spring break is when I came to know the Lord, there have been seasons where God has opened my eyes to the glory and the beauty of his grace. And so many of us will have different awakenings through our Christian life where we will see his favor, his beauty, and his majesty working in us to the degree sometimes where we'll feel like, we, we, did I really even understand the gospel? Uh, back then this is what Paul is praying with his parting words to the Philippians that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with would be with your spirit each day that grace that saved you that special grace that also that also sustains you I'm praying that that grace will sustain you each day he doesn't say here work as hard as you can try to do everything you can and hopefully you'll make it no the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you this is what sustains us this is our fuel for the Christian life And it is of a growing nature. Uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, uh, writes this. He says, True grace is progressive of a spreading, growing nature. It is with grace as it is with light. First there is the daybreak. Then it shines brighter to the full noonday. The saints are not only compared to stars for their light, but to trees for their growth. Isaiah 61, Hosea 14. A good Christian is not like Hezekiah's son that went backwards, nor Joshua's son that stood still, but is always advancing in holiness and increasing with the increase of God. And we are advancing in holiness and we are increasing with the increase of God by grace, this special grace, just the same grace that saved us when we came to faith in Jesus for the first time. So, so what okay so what uh, what are some of the obstacles and challenges when it comes to relying on grace day by day in our lives to sustain us supernaturally to display the gospel what What are the challenges what What do we need to be aware of? and I want to say that there are there are two two uh, slides that we can take: two falls from grace, and I want to call them a, a left slide and a and a, and a right slide, okay? And I want to give you an image to help you uh, remember this and to keep you tracking with me here. This is a, a photo here from last summer, and you can see at the bottom of this uh, of this walkway in Oahu that is called the uh, Haiku Stairs, or they call it the Stairway to Heaven. This is my son Michael here at the bottom, and we're up near the top uh, coming down. This is a hike that we did uh, one of the most amazing hikes that I have ever done in my life. And they've installed this so-called stairway to heaven. It, it's, it goes up about 3,000 feet on this ridge. It was built in World War II. There's a radio station, or it used to be a radio station, and lookout tower at the top of this mountain. I can't pronounce the name of it in Hawaiian. But you have to have this ladder, this stairway to heaven to get there. If you don't have it... You're in danger of falling off uh, to the left or to the right and, uh, and you're in trouble. This is the only way to get to the top is on this stairway. And I think this stairway, the reason I'm showing you this picture is I want you to think of the stairway as representing grace. And it is very easy uh, to fall from grace, to slide from grace into one of two areas. And the left slide that we would Uh, that we would fall to i'm going to call license okay if we're not living according to grace we may be living according to license if we're not depending upon the favor of god to sustain me throughout my daily life i may just be ignoring this and falling into license let me show you uh, paul addresses this in romans 6 he says what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase so if grace is unmerited favor, it doesn't have to do with my works, well then I can just go ahead and live however I want. And let grace increase. So Paul raises this question about this special grace, the kind of grace that's mentioned in, in Philippians 4.23. He answers his own question. You know, many of you, the answer. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live In it any longer. If you have been born again, if you have been touched by this special grace of Jesus Christ, then you have been made new and you have been given new desires, and we want to worship Him. And so we don't just live however we want. But then sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we do just live however we want. We sometimes do just disregard God's Word, we disregard the gospel, we disregard grace, and we live the, 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 way that, the way that we want to live. And I sadly have a, a fresh testimony to share with you of, of how, uh, how I did this last Sunday. My family knows where I'm, where I'm going to talk now. So last Sunday, uh, we left church and went up to uh, Lake, uh, what's it called? Lake Rollins. So we go up to Lake Rollins. And uh, you know this story too, Connie. I told a couple people know the story. So we go up to Lake Rollins, and we're having a great time out there. And we've never been out on that lake before. And we have to be back to small group by 6.30, okay? And Dad made some really bad decisions in getting off the lake. And so we are very late. Now, if you know me, I do not want to be late to our small group. And I am losing it. I'm losing it. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I am not not relying on the unmerited favor of God to see me through this time. I am disregarding laws of the state (laughs) which God calls us to obey unless they're contrary to his word or to the gospel. I am disregarding the law of love to love my neighbor, my family in this case. And I have lost it. I am taking license, and I'm just doing what I want to do. I am angry. We are going to be late to this event. And so I'm having to drive from this road I've never been on before. Um, What's it called, Connie, that place? You bet. Anybody ever been to You Bet, California? So you know the road I'm on with the trailer, flying up this road, trying to get to our small group, not relying on God's grace. Make it to I-80. We all know. Around Meadow Vista, there that there's often some guys that hang out with little uh, radar guns on I-80, and I'm and I'm I'm gonna get to small group, and and I got a trailer on, and the speed limit's 55. Kids are in the back seat. My wife's next to me, and the little red and blue lights show up right behind me. Now this has happened before, but never with my wife next to me and my kids in the back seat. I pull over, and uh, Mr. CHP walks up uh, beside me and gives me a little bit of a, a lecture about towing a trailer and speeding and safety and the size of the wheels on the trailer and how small they are and how fast I was going. And and I took license, and I was not relying on grace. And it's very easy to fall in, in all kinds of ways to disregard what is important in life isn't getting to small group on time. Loving my neighbor, loving God, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, displaying the gospel in the way that I live is, imp- is much more important than getting to small group on time. And so there was pride at the root of that particular license that I was taking. And, and the good news of the gospel is I did eventually repent, and, and I got clean, and I'm free, and I'm okay, and I can talk to you about it today. But I, but I didn't mention it at small group. We show up there, and all my kids are like, is Dad going to tell them what just happened moments ago? And no, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't tell them, but I, but I told them today. Okay, so that's license, okay? So that's license. So that's the left side of grace. That is the slide from this stairway to heaven, the left side. The right side would be legalism. The right side would be legalism. And we've talked about this in recent weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we as Christians are great at taking what is important, loving God, loving our neighbor, displaying the gospel. And when I say that a lot, when I say displaying the gospel in our lives, I mean that we display those themes that are present in the gospel. Jesus forgives us. We should be displaying forgiveness to others. Jesus willingly suffered for us. We should be willing and ready to suffer as we love others. Those are just two ways that we display the gospel. These are things that are important. These are the things that we should focus on in the Christian life. But what we tend to do is we invent lesser things, rules, traditions of man, and we put them up where those main things are. Loving God, loving neighbor, displaying the gospel. We do this in a million different ways. I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving examples, but you know one of them we talked about this in our men's group on Friday morning. And one of the ways that we do this is, uh, you know, you, you've heard uh, Christians just in passing, kind of mention, you know, we uh, don't have a TV in our house, or we don't go to movies or we don't watch radar movies or, or whatever it is, or we educate a certain way, and, and we put these things up here, and instead of relying upon the supernatural favor of Jesus Christ is the unmerited. We invent laws and we make ourselves feel like we're doing right because we've invented these these lesser things and put them in their place legalism. So the the left side is license, the right side is legalism, where we want to be is right in the center of that of that stairway to heaven, relying upon Jesus to strengthen us to live out what is most important uh, in life. We'll close with this from RC Sproul. He says, perhaps the most difficult task for us to perform is to rely on God's grace and God's grace alone for our salvation. It is difficult for our pride to rest on grace. Grace is for other people, for beggars. We don't want to live by the heavenly welfare system. We want to earn our own way and atone for our own sins. We like to think that we will go to heaven because we we deserve to be there. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we, uh, we sometimes act like we uh, deserve to be there when we're living like legalists. And we pray that you would keep us from feeling prideful about ourselves when we've invented rules and traditions and put them in the place of, of loving you, of loving our neighbors, and of displaying the gospel. Lord, free us from legalism. Help us when we think about uh, television or movies instead of, of having absolute laws, that we would think to ourselves, is this true? Is this right? Is this noble? Is this pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? And if so, let us enjoy watching that film or reading that book or going to that website if it passes that Philippians eight test. Lord, keep us from legalism. Keep us also from license. And help us, as Paul prayed, to have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with each of our individual spirits. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up with us? Uh, this next song we're singing just uh, is about grace and about God's grace towards us and what he's done for us. So as we sing, please reflect on that and reflect on what Pastor Mike was talking about, that we would lean on, on God and his ways and, and seek out his grace rather than, rather than erring on the side of legalism or, uh, or taking liberty, that we would rely on God's grace always. Consider his example.